0: I have uh, before we get started here tonight I have some some news for you here that might be of some interest to you you know I mean uh, have you ever been uh, interested in cavemen you know the way they look actually you should art heaven's sakes I've seen some of your friends I'm just uh, <laughs> no no here here's a note that just came in uh, that I think uh, would uh, be of some interest to those of you who are who are uh, fascinated uh, by uh, concepts and the future of mankind. Of course, so mankind's future uh, constantly pops up in various writings, right? Uh, what it's uh, heading to. But uh, have you ever thought of what man is going to look like in the future? I mean, you know, we, we know what we look like. You know, we walk around and... Uh, and uh, you, you ever really look peop- at people when there are vast amounts of people walking past you? I don't suppose... not. I really, I'm only really forced to have to admit that I don't think most people ever really question much about life at all. They just walk around. You agree with that? No, I mean, I, I just think most people just—the uh, only questions they got is, "Hey, how come we don't have no ketchup?" Uh, that's about—that's <laughs> about the extent of it, really. And and uh, maybe I'm presuming too much and thinking that people occasionally have these fleeting thoughts like, uh, I wonder what people are going to look like uh, 100,000 years from now. I mean, whether they'll look like us. I mean, if you believe in evolution, and I presume most people do, I mean, uh, Darwin uh, went through a hell of a lot of trouble to try to prove it, but if you believe in evolution, you have to believe in evolution, you know, things change. Uh, They evolve. Uh, species evolve, and so if you take a, you know, if you take a look at a, a, let's say, a horse of 25,000 years ago, he doesn't look like the horse of today. And yet, here's a note from uh, uh, one of the universities, uh, in fact, from uh, University of California. Man of the future is often pictured in science fiction as having a large domed head and short arms. You've seen those pictures? you know, with no hair. They always show them with with no hair at all. But an expert on evolution says man in 25,000 years probably will look pretty much like he looks today. Dr. Ledyard Stebbins, founder of the genetics department at the University of California's Davis campus, says man will continue to develop, changing his society and culture and even the workings of his mind but not his basic physical appearance. And here's what he says. He says, you know, you, you could take a Cro-Magnon man and clean him up and dress him in modern clothing and parade him down Madison Avenue, and he wouldn't attract a special notice. Well, I'm afraid that's been done many times. <laughs> he says, uh, the same probably would be true if you could transport a modern man 25,000 years into the future. Changes that affect our outward appearance would not be very great. Uh, The reason, he said, is that man has largely short-circuited his physical evolution through the development of tools and technology. He now has no need to evolve new forms or new physical capabilities because he can invent machines to extend the natural limits on his capabilities. Yeah, but doesn't it follow then that certain things would atrophy? I mean, I, th- I see a hole in that reasoning right away. In other words, if you have invo- evolved the machine that does the work of your muscles, doesn't it follow then that the muscles would cease to be of any value, really? Or at least begin to get smaller and smaller? Anyway, he says, Man survives not by changing physically, Stebbins said, but by changing his environment and by developing new techniques to deal with his environment. Quote, Man has the ability to occupy new habitats without any change in his genes more than any other animal. Well, that's true, Stebbins said, maintaining that the huge reservoir of human genes throughout the world represents mankind's major resource for adjusting to the unknown demands of the future. Well, that that fascinated me. I read that piece. You know, that's that's pretty wild. Uh, you know, the, the Crow magnon man, you could take him and uh, shave him, you know, give him a little shave with one of these new double-track razors, you know, and spray a little right guard on him in the right places, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, comb his hair a little bit here and there, and, and, uh, and uh, put a suit on him, and you could take him right down Madison Avenue. That would be a fantastic scene. You know, that's an idea for a great SF fiction, you know, great SF movie, where uh, these guys are... You know, you could start it out with the usual cockamamie uh, opening. All, all SF movies uh, of a certain period, if any of you follow SF movies, begin with uh, a film of the explosion of an A-bomb. This was almost, uh, this was, uh, you know, it was like a classical, <laughs> you know. And then a voice says, Man has the temerity, man has the evil to deal with things which he should never know. He is now experimenting with vast forces of nature beyond which he shall have no control. Beware, man. You see this stuff flying up in the air. And then the next thing you know, a giant toad comes out of what looks like a Japanese pond and proceeds to stomp on Tokyo uh <laughs> well <laughs> this is a yeah this is a this you know this is a classic in one phrase you can you can uh, embody these but uh i I remember seeing a uh, a movie when I was a kid, and I don't know whether i I might have dreamed this movie up or not, I don't know, I just remember seeing something like this. do you remember a movie where some guys were uh in a cave in some mountain you know it's a very far distant mountain someplace way off in uh a mythical wilderness, someplace, and these guys are mountain climbers or explorers or something, and they are they're struggling up this this fantastic face of this mountain, and they come to this giant glacier, and there's a storm, and these guys are trying to to get the, uh, to get into a cave for uh, shelter from the storm, and they go into this cave, and he's are hacking away, they're trying to make this place where they can stay while the storm roars. And suddenly they discover this fantastic sight—the glacier, this glacier that's been frozen in the ice for thousands of years. You see, there in the in this ice, you see a man frozen in the ice. Bump, bum, ba, dum, bump. And of course, then they start chipping away. They're they're going to get it out. They're chipping away. These see the fantastic. Uh, it's a tremendous uh, scientific discovery they have just made. So they're chopping away. And the professor said, but maybe we've had better reconsider. Maybe they do not know what this may mean to all of mankind. And the other professor says, Doctor, no. Mankind has the right to know that the great scientific discovery which you've made could very well change the life of everybody on this planet today. And they are chipping away. And that's all I remember out of the movie. They took this guy out of the ice and that's it. (laughs) Now... (laughs) <laughs> and, and, You know, of course, naturally, what happens is that he he uh, he thaws out, and uh, you got to believe he doesn't turn out to be a good guy. No way. Uh, he turns out to be this giant monster. No, oh, yeah, and I remember the scene of it. Now, now it's coming back because then they were they were sleeping in this tent. See, they have they've chopped this block of ice out, and he's still in the in the ice. See, but they've chopped the ice out, and now it's it's like this guy's frozen in a big ice cube. See. And they, they got the ice cube out, and uh, they're sleeping in the tent. And uh, n- naturally, you know what happens. Suddenly, their, their husky dogs go, oh, 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 and then you hear, ah, one of the dogs obviously has died a horrible death. And one of the guys wakes up in the dark, and uh, he goes out to see what's going on with the dogs. And then you hear, oh. Boom boom, boom! 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 He shoots his gun three times, and then he is found by his fellows. There he is, horribly. Oh! it says, "Oh, oh! It must have had superhuman strength. Whatever did that?" And uh, of course, then the, then the plot goes on from there. We we know that. And of course, naturally, in the end, as we see the ship ascending, uh, which they have discovered, of course, in this hidden valley, it was a it was a spaceship. Uh, We see it ascending into the heavens, and a voice says, Warning Warning, to mankind! mankind. We We will be be back! back. 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 We have been observing observing, the planet Earth earth, 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 for thousands thousands of years, 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 years. and we we have discovered discovered the secret secret, of, of, of... Eternal life, no wars, total beauty constantly, love continually, have decided that mankind must either reform now or we shall return. That is a warning. Watch the heavens for our return. Man, i better damn well straighten up or we're going to come down and clobber you. You remember those <laughs> those scenes? How many times have you seen that? that? That leads us perfectly into a commercial. Would you please uh, give me a little echo chamber first, uh, Art? A little echo chamber. We will lead right in it. Right Thou right. shalt listen to this commercial or you're going to get one between the eyes. eyes. And now we bring you, you the mysterious... Mm Wisdom of of, of the Mm -hmm. Ancient ancient East. East. (laughs) It's very nice. The uh, House of Chan illustrates the ancient wisdom of the mysterious East by having a menu that is uh, maybe 15, 20, 40, 50, 60 chapters long. And a fantastic collection of food down there. It's the House of Chan. Mysterious Wisdom of the Ancient East. Uh, speaking of the mysterious wisdom of the ancient east can you imagine trying to explain my radio show to a resident of Tibet or even a guy that just uh, recently was living in Brussels trying to make it I'd have to say that that, that the show is probably uh, almost quintessential you know I always have trouble saying that word quintessence quintessentially, is that right, Uh, American. Wouldn't you say that? I mean, you can't imagine a Frenchman doing this, or an Englishman for that matter. Can you imagine Alistair Cook, you know, the official Englishman? He's our official house Englishman, wouldn't you say that? Yeah. It's true. (laughs) Which which makes him very official to us. There's nothing more official than an Englishman. Anything English has got so much culture to it. This is W O Y New York. Speaking of uh, culture, Let's see uh, one more. Do you have that uh, little goodie there lined up in there? It's all live. What happened? There used to be a ET uh, e. Jerry. It's not on it now. All right. Uh, this says. Uh, hmm. Are you using too much sugar in iced tea and iced coffee? <laughs> Get Sweet and Low. The perfect sugar substitute. Sweet and Low is featured at all fine food and drugstores. I'll be damned. All right. Funny things we say sometimes on the radio, isn't it? You notice that? <laughs> oh, well. I was but to. What is it? It's on the tip of my tongue. Ours but to, uh, ours not to uh, do something, ours but to uh, do something else. As forward into the valley of death, march the Valiant 600. Isn't that the way it goes? You know, shot to the right of me, shot to the left of me, and nothing to drink here. I mean, for God's sakes, how about a shot over here, huh? A little Jim Beam on the rocks, twist 11. No, 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 that isn't a poem. What the hell? I mean, I'm losing control here. Yeah, at ease, at ease, men. Step back now. Let's start all over again. At ease. All right, Ted. All right, let's get going here. Straighten it out. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I, I personally, I may, I may, you know, I personally think that man is going to change somewhat the next twenty-five thousand years. I mean, if anybody's watched the NBA recently, he knows damn well he's changing. I mean, that that professor is not a sport fan. You agree? Why, within the memory of almost everybody listening to this show now, unless you're six years old, a seven-foot-high guy was a real rarity. Now, if you're, you know, less than seven feet, they call you the small man on the forward line. Isn't that, isn't that true? I mean, you you can't even conceivably have a basketball team today unless you got a couple of guys that are around the seven-foot level. Wouldn't you say that? You agree with that? I say that the both ends of the scale, though. Are, uh, are pertaining i've never seen more little skinny guys either in my life than you see <laughs> this time. so so i think man is is getting uh to, he's 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 getting a vast uh spread i mean i'm not uh, i can't remember ever in my lifetime seeing more gigantic girls have you you notice that aren't? i mean you get in the elevator and there's a it, it, uh, you know enormous chicks you know their heads are up there bouncing up against the ventilators and and so on, and they're surrounded. They're usually surrounded knee deep with these little guys, you know, the, the the Dick cabot types, the little natty types, you know, that buy their their suits in places called Junior Junior or Preschool Suits. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so so I, I I I just think you know that there is a vast changes coming on. Have you noticed that almost all Talk show hosts are little tiny people, without exception. I doubt whether, uh, with the exception of Parr, who is uh, really sort of emeritus, and he's out of another age of the talk show host. He's out of the Steve Allen age, when when talk show guys were big. But uh, I'm talking about the current crop, Uh, Merv Griffin, uh, Carson, uh, Cavett, uh, you could if you're five feet eight and you could, you just put your arms out like that, just straight out from your from your uh, shoulder, all of the talk show hosts would fit right under your arm. <laughs> and you could just pick them all up in one cuddly little bunch, you know, cuddle them all., oh, come on, Johnny, you know? <laughs> so uh, so there has to be uh, something there uh, that uh, that they they obviously, uh, that the people who watch them uh, somehow relate to the little cuddlies. And so there must be a lot of those out there. And uh, so on the other <laughs> you know, I'm just proposing uh, theories here. So uh, if, if, you, if, you, if you accept that fact, that the, that the extremes are... It's just like our politics today. It's like politics. I think almost everything else is going that way. That on the one hand, you have the extreme radical, which is, uh, was quite rare years ago. I'm talking about the one that wants to blow up everything. Press a button and blow the earth up. Uh, that's that's the the extreme radical on the one hand. You got you got the you got the guy that uh, that goes for that. Then you got the extreme conservative on the other hand, which was also rare a few years ago. I mean the real extreme conservative that wants to return somehow to the pre-medieval days. The medieval days were a little bit uh, left wing, and uh, he wants to get back to the days <laughs> when guys had brass rings around their necks. And uh, you know, were led around with chains, and they were called Wamba, and uh, girth and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, you know, so you, you get the you get the two the two uh, extremes way out. All right, everybody, let's dance. Anyway, the uh, the idea of uh, of uh, of having a Neanderthal man inside of you, I think, is very valid. I wonder what would happen if you if you took uh, just any of us. Just any, you know, just the average walking around person, anybody. I don't care who it is. Anyone from Archie Bunker to George Plimpton, from uh, from uh, Gloria Steinem to uh, to Minnie Mouse. Uh, you just took any of us walking around, and were to put us in a situation, let's say, into a uh, into a hut of uh, of a group of human beings 40,000 years ago. Just, just drop them in there. Now, I'm not saying with current clothes or anything else like that. I'm just saying, just take the the naked human being and drop them into this situation. Would would he would he fit in? Uh, would he be able to make it? In other words, has man changed that much in 40,000 years that this person could not even make it, could not even survive? Or, on the other hand, would he have evolved in such a way that he not only survives, but he very quickly organizes all the rest? In other words, he's actually a superior creature to those and uh, can handle the scene even better than, uh, than those who were there at the time. Which do you think it would be? You think it's the first one, that he would not survive. Well, uh, that's obviously a subjective uh, opinion, because you're thinking in terms of nature, that nature would defeat him because it would be too cold or too hot or what? What do you think? Or he wouldn't be able to go out and hunt but you're saying then that he would not have the technical skills of those people. But the suggestion would be given to you that he could learn those skills quickly because his mind is more advanced than the mind of the people of the period, and within a short time he could learn the skills, which it might have taken those people, say, uh, 100,000 years to develop. You say no. Well, then on the other hand, do you think that a person of 40,000 years ago put into our situation, would he be able to survive? Would he? Or do you say that's not a fair question? <laughs> He would go on welfare. <laughs> well now wait a minute, you're saying then he could survive. Oh well now now that you're really saying then that man has deteriorated in his ability to cope with the situation. Or are you saying, on the other hand, that society has advanced to the point where it can take care of creatures that cannot be deal with the situation. Uh Aha. You're saying that society has changed, but man has, society has improved, but man has, due to that societal change, has declined in his ability to deal with situations on a personal level. Is that what you're saying, or am I putting those thoughts in your head? (laughs) How about you, Art? Do you think that man could survive if he was dropped into a situation 40,000 years ago? Do you think you could make it? You do. You think you could learn? Yeah. Well, I'm inclined to agree with you. I'm inclined to agree with you, Art, and I'll tell you why. Uh, That the the one thing that sets man apart from almost every other creature around is his almost uh, uncanny ability to adapt he really has this uncanny ability now on the short run he may be in trouble in other words he arrives down there but if he can physically hang in I suspect that if he physically could hang in uh, if, with the you know with the cold or with whatever it might be there that, that that would be a physical problem if he could physically hang in long enough I think that he could survive I really do now I may be wrong. I'm just just saying this is an opinion, uh, <laughs> because man is a is a, is a fantastic character, and a creature, and and I think this is one of the reasons why man ultimately uh, is is a he, he he's he's a creature that both hates himself and is in love with himself. You find this constantly running through our literature because man man is is the only creature that I know of. That can not only adapt to every environment that he runs into, but he can wind up shaping the environment to his own liking this this is a, this is not uh, true of any other creature. Other creatures may build little nests or places where they can live, but he doesn't change the environment uh, to his own liking. In fact, you know that right now there are there are a lot of people kicking around in laboratories the idea of controlling the entire uh, controlling the entire uh, climate of say major cities. Now, how's that for a concept? Now, this is not uh, not beyond the realm of possibility. In other words, it's 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 quite possible technically, uh, at uh, some cost, no doubt, but quite possible to take a city uh, of a fairly average size. Let's take a city the size of say, for example, Trenton, and uh, literally enclose it. It's literally enclosed, and keep it at continually 70 degrees, or 71, or whatever it is you decide to set it at. Because, you know, just a few years ago, it was considered absolutely unbelievably uh, a a, a remote dream that, say, places like as large as, we'll just say for argument's sake, uh, Madison Square Garden could be air-conditioned. Now we just accept it. We walk in and out of air-conditioned buildings. We don't even think anything about it. But the idea of, of say, by the year 2000, people being able to literally set the the population, uh, uh, the entire temperature, the entire climate for (laughs) for a place, technically, is not beyond the realm of possibility. And I'm going to tell you, that's going to be a political football. That will cause all kinds of, of argument sakes. Because, you know, you're going to find one minority group who comes from, say, a tropical climate, are going to demand that it be set at 86 degrees, because this is the best climate that they find. Then you're going to find a lot of people <laughs> who come from, say, uh, uh, northern Europe, who places like Sweden, uh, you know, whose forebears go back to, say, uh, Russian, where they come from cold climates. They're going to demand that it be set at the 61, because they say uh, man's mind functions better at these. So there's going to be giant charges of racial discrimination. <laughs> can't you see it, in the future? Oh, it's going to be fantastic, uh, and, and I can I can just see what what, uh, what a political football this will ultimately be. So then they, they'll be able to control the humidity, the the rain in there. So you'll find people who come from uh, uh, jungle climates, tropical climates where there's a lot of rain. They're going to be demanding a lot of uh, a lot of uh, moisture in the air. See, and then there's going to be guys that are going to you know come from places where the air is dry, where they rarely get any any water. Uh, they're going to say, "I can't stand it. This is uh, obviously racial discrimination." Look at this. Oh, it's raining all the time. <laughs> so, so, uh, so, uh, the, 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 so this causes a self-hate, uh, self-love situation. On the one hand, it is considered man as the noblest of all creatures, uh, and the same writer will turn right around in the next paragraph and define man as the, as the great polluter of the world, the evil of all world, the, the bacillus of the world, the, the cancer of, uh, of the, uh, of the uh, universe. Of course, generally, when, when, when a guy writes and says, man is the noblest of all creatures, he's obliquely referring to himself and his friends and people who feel like he does. <laughs> it's the others that are the evil bacillus of the world. Very few writers include themselves. Would you would you think uh, just a casual uh, casual guess, uh, Arthur? Would you think that there's more Neanderthal in you, or less Cro Magnon, or more? Uh, which which do you lean towards? Well, you know there were two different types. You know, Neanderthal. You know, with the with the sloping forehead. Uh, you know, with the giant uh, overhanging brows. You know, the, I, I suspect, though, if you if there was more Neanderthal in you, you'd have a lot better chance in the NFL. I mean, boy, what a fantastic... <laughs> uh, on the other hand, it's the pro-Manion that plays basketball. Well, you know, six of one after the other. <laughs>